Welcome to the family with Hackmaster Ralph Troy Basham, MD. Andy Bernard. And Melissa Bernard. Now, I would guess that Alex and Catherine will be here, but what do I know? You know what I'm saying. We'll be right back. Kick things off with the family. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Dougie, what's happening to my favorite Nissan stores? Well, a lot, actually. Last month, Dan Resch and the Burnsville team finished number one in the state, and the month before, J-Lo and the Coon Rapids team took the top state spot. KQ listeners. Yeah, I've had to explain what a pair of choppers means to some of the staff. Anyway, this month, we want to talk about a couple killer finance deals on 2020 Muranos and 2020 Rogues. Read this. This month at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and Coon Rapids Nissan, get 0% financing for 60 months on a brand new Rogue or 0% for 72 months on a brand new Murano. Wow, 0 for 72 months on a Murano? Yeah, I don't remember the last time we did that. Yeah, I don't remember the last time the Vikes beat the Packers either. Yeah, too soon. But wait, there's more. Not only do you get 0% on Rogue and Murano, but you also get Walzer Care. It's a 10-year, 150,000-mile powertrain warranty, and it's absolutely free, but only at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and Coon Rapids Nissan. That is a wrap. There I am. We're all in. Here I am with all my opinions. <laughs> all your opinions. You have opinions. A lot I, of opinions. Sometimes I do. Um, we're just trying to figure something out because uh, it does look like they they have the votes now to to okay a Supreme Court justice. It does look like like Trump's going to be able to appoint somebody to the court, <laughs> and they will be uh, on the court maybe even before the election. Oh, so our what's oh I don't even want to go on social media then. So they said... They must be losing their minds. The Star Tribune led with unfathomable. (laughs) 200,000 people have died of coronavirus. How is that unfathomable? 200,000? Yeah. In the whole United States. It sounds like a lot, but yeah, yeah, it's really not. 0.06%. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, but how many people die of the flu every year? Yeah. More than that, uh, I'm pretty sure. uh, Just the the regular flu. Deaths from the flu, if you go to the CDC, in 2018-2019, the maximum number of deaths that they they thought might be were Mm 95,000 in 2008, the the flu season 2018-2019. And that's only a six-month period. And this has been yeah. around how long? It's been around yeah. seven nine months. months. Yeah, seven, eight, nine months. Well, yeah, nine so months it's in December. It, yeah. Like they were saying, it's an especially bad flu. You know, it will, it'll kill the vulnerable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Most people yeah. but won't even notice. Okay, but almost 100,000 people die every year of the flu, is that safe to say? Well, no, anywhere, anywhere depending on the CDC's. Probably CDC to doesn't really know how many people die of the flu because not everybody's tested for the flu, but they, mm -hmm. they have models that model it, and they say it's anywhere from 40,000 to 95,000 people die every year from the flu. Well, the thing about flu deaths is that generally if you're dying of the flu, you are already basically expected to die soon. So, there, you know, some 95-year-old person who is already on the edge of death, they just die one day. No one's going to be like, hmm, let's do an autopsy. They're just going to be like, oh, well. well. You know, I have a guess. My guess would be out of the 200,000 people that have died of COVID, actually about 150,000 of them died, and the other 50,000 they said died of COVID. Well, they, they well, did. Well, there is that. Yeah. I wonder. They did say that there were a lot of false positives. Like yes. up to 30% of the tests are wrong. That's right. a huge number. Well, right there, we're down to 130,000. I, I know of one, one test that was sent in that wasn't even done was positive. Test wasn't yeah. even done. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Oh, no, so they don't even do the test. That's yeah. just how good the tests are. You don't even need to test them. But so, the, so, the, so the testing is a priori. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's an a priori testing have system. You, have you ever seen Minority or, Report? It's like that, but for diseases. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so look, we want everybody to stay healthy. We want everybody to you know do whatever they're supposed to do. If I wear a mask, if I go in a building, I wear a mask. Yeah, I've got too. it in my pocket. They do what they tell me to do. There are people who won't do what they tell them to do. And what are we supposed to do about that? I don't know. I mean, okay, so Sturgis, they're saying that Sturgis caused a big spike in no, certain it areas caused we're a all spike ca not a big it caused a spike but were those people not wearing masks they've been saying there's been spikes every week for the past nine months i doubt anyone at <clears throat> sturgis was wearing a mask they're what not, is Sturgis? They're, they're not mask-wearing they're, they're, folk. They're, they're sort of, well, you, you expect a certain level of civil disobedience with Sturgis. Oh, motorcycle. Yeah. Would you agree? Well, yeah, and it's not like only Sturgis people were there. No. It's all over the country they come. They, well, yeah. they drive their motorcycles from, like, yeah. Maine to go right. to Sturgis. Well, but that's what so. I mean. Like, Sturgis, <laughs> the event, not Sturgis. Yeah. 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 You know what I'd like to focus on uh, is if our government could focus on the positive of things, it's, hey, it could be a lot worse. But, no, it, it, it's much better just ruin someone. You know, they've literally announced this morning that if you don't vote their way on the Supreme Court judge, they will ruin your life. They actually said that this morning. If you don't vote our way against the Supreme Court nominee, we will do everything they can to ruin your life. They announced that. Sounds like politics to me. How filthy is that? Did you ruin somebody's life over that? Sounds like the kind of thing you say about five years before uh, the French Revolution comes to your door. <laughs> exactly. So, so the Senate, not, right? They're the ones that vote on on SCOTUS, mm -hmm. right? Just the Senate. The House really doesn't have anything to do with it. Or is it the, the House? The president nominates the Supreme Court right. or the, uh, the uh, Senate uh, voters. For it, and okay. Then it's like a so Congress has nothing to do with it. Sixty percent majority or something, I think. Not anymore. Or no? simple majority. No, simple, it's a simple, simple majority, majority now? now. Yep. Oh, and well. they say that they've got the votes. They do. So have what the are votes. they going to do to these senators? Are they going to go assassinate them if yeah, they for vote real. for the SCOTUS? What are they going to do? I don't know. Because I tell you what, if they voted, if those four that had, you know, been pointed out, they might vote against it. If they did in their states, they'd never get reelected. They would. Know, there's no way those two women in Maine and Alaska would ever get reelected if they did that. Okay. Uh, Mitt Romney even said he will vote to confirm. Oh, Mitt's been anti everything, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, he hates Trump. It's true, but in Utah, 
Utah is the biggest <laughs> anti-abortion state in the United States. You yes, know that, is. right? By far. But yeah, that makes sense. Mormons oh. don't love abortion. Well, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm very confused. Yeah. Weird, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All the whole world because the abortion issue is the Supreme Court can't just all of a sudden say tomorrow, oh, I have a new justice, we have a new justice, we're going to re-examine Roe versus Wade. Well, technically they... People have to bring things to the Supreme right. Court yes. to yes. be... Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah and, and not everything actually gets to be heard, right? No. Right. No, not even close. It's like 99% of cases never reach the Supreme Court. So what... They, it, people are acting like people abortion been, rights are going to be removed as soon as somebody gets a point. Yeah, like January twenty first. My whole life, ever since I was born, Roe versus Wade was in peril. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. See, like when George Bush, W. Bush yeah, was it? Yeah, abortion's going to be insane. Cares about and what, Roe versus yeah. Wade. what I, I think that the Supreme <clears throat> Court made a huge mistake in even chiming in on on abortion. I think that that should have been. State by state, yeah, right, and right. a woman and her yeah. doctor, and it shouldn't have been a Supreme Court decision. To well, the, tell you the truth, the thing about the Supreme <coughs> shouldn't Court, be a political decision. Roe versus Wade decision is, it's very shaky, and everyone knows it because the reasoning was, I think it's like there's an amendment that says you have a right to privacy, so therefore you have a right to an abortion or something that makes no sense. No, everyone knows it makes no sense, so we're all just kind of playing along. <coughs> So it could Sorry. be repealed basically at any time because it was a stupid but, decision in the first place. But they won't. But they could, you know, they could write an amendment or something like that. I remember back in won't, high school, um, I know of a couple of people that went to New York to get abortions. It's yeah. been legal in New York somehow for decades. How did they have abortion in New York if nobody because, else could have it? I think before before Roe versus Wade, it was a state by state mm -hmm. issue. There are many states that <coughs> they said it was not legal to do an abortion, and that was the the, the impetus of that decision to get it nationwide. They thought it was, should be a nationwide consistency; they should be able to have that nationwide. Yeah, and okay. there is still states that are taking it a step further because they can like illinois illinois had just last year uh tried to vote to do late-term abortions mm -hmm. so right now roe versus wade just allows abortions to be legal but states still get to indicate how far they can take it that's why new york was voting to have a you know 17th trimester abortion or whatever kill a kid when they're four years old <laughs> <laughs> this kid is yeah. uh, driving me nuts that's it you're aborted <laughs> yeah, and he likes to exaggerate well, you, you, postpartum you, i don't know where he gets that from you know the, the, yeah. <laughs> In, in medical school, you know, I, you know, this was all going on well before medical school, Roe versus Wade. Before, when I was in medical school, when I was in medical school, I thought, well, geez, you know, we had to come up with some sort of compromise, and that baby's pretty much made at the end of about three to four months. So why can't a woman make a decision about her pregnancy in that first three months? Yeah, yeah I know, really. I know. You have three yeah, whole months to think about it. I mean, or, or why yeah. can't a, a woman and a man, man has the same responsibility. Why can't you consider using birth control mm -hmm. to think about. rather than you know this sort of random kind of thing that's happening it really in this day and age this is the 21st century in this day and age we the number so of children who, yeah. who pregnancies which are unwanted should be uh, mm -hmm. zero yeah how much is that pill 
that pill. Oh, oh yeah, the, the, uh, the one. morning after. Yeah, that one. So morning oh. after pill? Yeah. Are you 486? Yeah, how much does that oh, cost for I like a you, person? That's over the counter now, right? Yeah, but yeah. how much does it Good. cost? Is it over the counter? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. believe it's you over the counter. Over the counter? You don't even have to get a prescription? No. So it's you just, really? you just take it up to the pharmacy and they hand it to you. Oh, really? How much so is it, though? Like, it's like. Uh, let's see. Probably here. like 40 bucks, I would guess. So it's like aspirin? It's pretty too expensive. It all, well, but people would it all depends on where you, you get it. You can get it's birth anywhere. control for free. The range is $75 to $1,600. Well, so <laughs> that, that's a pretty no. big range. $75? It sounds like if you were to get it from your doctor, maybe. Well, $75, how often are you buying this pill? I'm just saying if you're a person that doesn't have any money and you choose to have a condom had a one-night stand. and the condom broke or, what you know, yeah, whatever. these things that people come up with. Right. Then you could go and get that, but you don't have any money, so then you ended up pregnant. And but, yeah, so, but what's, more, you know. what's more expensive, a pregnancy? Or no, I'm saying, but then they get an, but then they'd get an abortion. What, what's more expensive? Abortions and what's more, are more dangerous? Expensive than that. An abortion or this or pill? Or seventy-five bucks. <laughs> How much is an abortion? Five hundred minimum. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, five hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Let's that's take, that's the minimum. $75. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's See, I thought you Planned Parenthood could get an abortion for nothing. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure to be with you. One thing we keep talking about is that North American Banking Company is a community bank. Why is that important? Well, two things. First, as a locally owned and operated bank, we move quickly for our customers when it matters most. You're not waiting for a loan decision to come out of state or making the decision right here at your home. Secondly, our customers appreciate the fact that we get to know them and understand their goals. For many of our customers, we're coaches, mentors, and sometimes sounding boards for their ideas. It's hard to get that from a big bank, but it's something we do just because it's Tuesday. Well, that sounds like a great way to do business. All of our employees are working to help meet your business needs. It's how we create loyalty. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? A better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Dun, dun, dun. That's a different song. Uh, just let me know when our guest is ready, Andy, if you would. Uh-huh. We got two minutes, technically. It, technically, we do. So, yeah, I mean, it's a situation where basically we're just talking about, look, I don't have an opinion on it. I, I was never involved in abortion in my life. That's, you know, my business. Your business is your business. You've never had an abortion before? I never have. <laughs> never been involved with it. But, again, I just, I've told, I've told this story many, many times on KQRS. I waited till I was over 21 years old to have sex in the first place because I knew if I did when I was 16, 17, uh, four different kids I went to junior high school with at 16 years old had babies. Yep. I had, there was at least two in my high school. Yep. And I just said, I'll never get out of here. And, again, I love North Minneapolis, but I didn't want to live in poverty my whole life. Mm-hmm. I just, no, I'm not doing it. You have to make decisions for your life and how you want to live it, too. You do. I you remember just, having do. these conversations with Andy. I probably scared the hell out of him. <laughs> I was like, okay, so you have a baby. I'm not helping you, and you have to support it yourself. So that's how oh, it's well, going to be. There's still, like, 
We're not having a kid until we've got at least ten million in the bank. Yes. <laughs> we own at least five properties, all paid off. <laughs> all paid off. Yeah. So, He's so, ridiculous. So now you're at about fifteen million. Yeah. Well, I guess, like having kids is, as Michael expensive. Jackson said. If you can't afford the baby, don't have the baby. That's what he said in a song. Something like that. Uh, Something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, Billie Jean? Yeah. Yeah, I, like I said, I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do. You do what you do. I, I do wish it would be free because it would be a much better option for a lot of very young people. I'm not telling you what to do with your body and your baby and all the rest of it. I just tell you there are people, and I just happen to be one of them, that made a decision. I'm not getting involved in that. Sure, I like everybody else, I wanted to have sex when I was 17, 18, 19, and 20. I didn't. That's just the way it is. I just think that there are a lot of things that shouldn't that the government just shouldn't be involved in. I yeah, agree. like there's yeah. No like they should reason. never have been involved in gay marriage because I think that it's just like if you want to get married, you just get should married. have gotten married. Who cares? And yeah, I don't think the government should have matter? been involved in 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 the abortion issue. Like we yeah, were talking about, it's like the morning after pill, free for all. Yeah, I have think that. the morning after pill should be free. Yep, yep I agree. Well, if, have our guest. We'll talk to Christopher Emery. How you doing, Christopher? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing extremely well. The only problem that I have is every time I read about the place you used to work, it's very negative, Christopher. It's really wearing on me, I'll tell you that. Well, that's why my book is so great, because it's about the good times. We want to hear about the good times, Christopher. Seriously, I, I and I tell you up front, Christopher, I, I don't lean too hard one way or the other. I tend to be pretty centrist. I, uh, I do not like this negativity. This guy sucks. He's the worst ever. Oh, my God, it's horrible. And I, I don't want to hear that about anybody who's the president or running for president. You know, I, it's a very important office to me. It's a very special office to me. And, I, Christopher, it's got to be a huge thing for you. Well, of course. You know, and I, I, I'm still partial, and I, I pay attention to it every day. I mean, I spent right. eight amazing years there working for three amazing presidents. And uh, it's it's you know to see the the, the media and the, the critique and the and the stuff that's going on. It's just hard. It's hard to follow. It is very hard to follow. But you know, Christopher, you're the perfect guy for me to talk to because you worked for Ronald Reagan. You worked for Clinton. You were you know. These are not exactly guys that saw things the same way, yet somehow Christopher Emery was smart enough or talented enough to work for both of them. How'd that ever happen, Christopher? We're told I today, was lucky. Yeah, yeah, well, good, good. Uh, I, I was the luckiest guy in the world to have that job. You know, I, I had personal daily contact with three U.S. presidents, and uh, it was very personal, and uh, it, was, it was very unique, and I cherish those moments. In fact, my uh-huh. book doesn't really go into all those details because I keep a lot of those conversations private and I always will. But it does give you a sense for how things really operate inside those four walls. I could see that. Christopher Emery is our special guest. White House Usher Stories from the Inside. I want to sit back now, Christopher, and shut up and hear your wonder because I've read your, your story. Your stories are great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was just, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I got there on a lark. I, uh, I never expected to, to work in the White House. People often said to me, who do you know to get that job? <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. If, if you read in the book, I, I talk about that. You know, all I was trying to do was get a rejection letter from the White House. Thought, what a great thing to show around the office. And it backfired. They, they actually hired Damn it. How did it happen? It sounds like why I considered uh, applying to Harvard, just so I could say. Uh, <laughs> I almost got into Harvard, but I didn't, didn't yes, quite. It's true. I was at Yale once. I walked by it. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Chris.
Christopher, you're a fellow very... Ivy Leaguer, I see. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you and Andy, the Ivy Leaguers <laughs> out there. Christopher, I love that. And you got to tell everybody you talked to in an interview that you wanted a rejection letter, and damn it, I got hired. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it was it was truly a lark on my part, and and even when they called that, that night that I was at home, and I get a call from the White House, and I thought it had to be a joke, and I almost started speaking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> or doing some voice like you know, Kata. I was going to do a voice, and then but the lady kept reading from my resume. I thought this is real. So anyway, yeah, I I, I had the, the the incredible experience of. Of working uh, directly three years President Reagan, four years George H. W. Bush, and uh, about fourteen months of the Clintons, and I uh, I had you know more access to the president than his own family, just in the nature of the job, you know, managing the White House residence, which actually has a staff of ninety six people. Ooh. There's eighteen acres of grounds and one hundred thirty two room mansion, and plus you know I was in charge of events. Um, you know, so my hours were, you know, sometimes uh, I had three or four 20-hour days in a week, believe it or not, which which isn't fun. <laughs> but you're so, you know, you're so exhilarating. It's, it's just so amazing and exciting to be there. I never, never took it for granted and I never took myself too seriously. Well, I wish we were back there in the Christopher Emery days when you didn't take yourself and nobody took themselves so seriously because everybody right now is an expert, and my God, they can't wait to do some damage. <laughs> or write a book. <laughs> At least my book was, uh, it's not a kiss and tell. So there's nothing in there that, that would, and then I had a problem with that because the, the, the publishers and the agents all said I had to write stuff that was revealing, that would sell books, that would make headlines. And I kept saying, well, that's not what this, this book is, is about a story of how the White House runs. It's about right. this thing called the usher's office, which nobody understands. Yeah, so the White, White House usher. Oh, you like it. Right. Right. Uh, right. That doesn't work. You know, Christopher, I got to tell you, if you don't mind me using, the, using a little, it's not that big a deal, but I just, you know, don't be offended by this because it was her response <clears throat> many years ago. I was interviewing Mike Wallace, the legendary <laughs> newsman Mike Wallace. And just a great guy. And I'm talking about the White House, this, that, and the other thing. <clears throat> he said, hey, I saw your guest list for later on today on your show. I said, yeah, absolutely. And he goes, you're interviewing Angie Dickinson? And I said, yeah, she's going to be on in about 20 minutes. And he said, could you do me a favor and ask her a question? And I said, absolutely. I'll ask her whatever you want. I want to ask. And then I won't tell you what he told me to ask her. He told me this on the air, what to ask her. And so I go, okay, I'll do that. So 20 minutes later, Angie Dickinson comes on. By the way, Mike Wallace was a tremendous guest, very smart man. And then Angie Dickinson, just a sweetheart of a person, very smart, real talented, the whole deal. She comes on, and I said, uh, to get started, Angie, I have to ask you a question that was passed on to me by your friend, Mike Wallace. She goes, oh, yeah, Mike. Mike's a very good friend of mine. I said, okay, I want to ask you this question on the air, if that's all right with you. And she said, yeah, that's fine. I said, okay, this is a question directly from Mike Wallace. Angie, is it true that you had sex with JFK in the White House? <laughs> and there's this long pause, and she goes, Tom, would you do me a favor and call Mike back and say it's none of his goddamn business? Wow. That's hilarious. You know, I, I, met, I met Mike Wallace and Chris Wallace and Angie Dickinson. Um, and, and you know what? I have a, a quick story about uh, well, uh, the White House and, and JFK. I uh, got a call one morning from uh, President Bush, and he said, come on over to the office. I got somebody I want you to meet. So 
My office was actually in the residence of the White House, the home of the family, and I walked over to the West Wing to the Oval Office. I get there, and the secretary says, oh, yeah, go on in. He's waiting for you. I open the door. I see the president seated at the famous Resolute desk. He's facing me. And there's two gentlemen with their backs towards me. So as I walk in, these, these gentlemen stand to, and turn towards me. Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio. Oh, God, what a day. And the president says, I know what a, a baseball fan you are. I thought you might enjoy taking these guys on a tour of the private residence. <laughs> well. And I says, of course. And, and, and on my way out of the office, I looked back at the president. I said, did you let Mrs. Bush know that we're coming over? Because last time he did this to me, I took astronauts upstairs, and Mrs. Bush was in her pajamas. So. <laughs> Sounds familiar. It. I love it. Christopher, do you, so, do you, have, a, do you so, have more time? Do you have to be out right at sure. noon? Or do you have another segment? No. Can you do another segment? Oh, of course. Oh, I'd love to keep you on. We'll just take a break and be right back. Another segment with Christopher Emery. The book, White House, has your stories from the inside. will continue in just two minutes with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called White House Usher Stories from the Inside. Christopher Emery, our very special guest. I am so happy you had another segment open because there are so many more things I want to hear about your time at the White House, all those years at the White House. But I want to ask you going in, Christopher, because you watched three presidents from the inside. You've watched, I'm sure, um, George W. Bush. You've watched Barack Obama. You didn't work there at the time, but you watched them both, and now Donald Trump. Do you think, and I'll give you an example of a guy you worked, you worked for, handle it the right way. At a, at a debate many years ago, uh, Reagan and Mondale, 1980 yeah. was that or 80, 84? It was 84. Yeah, 84. So um, I, I, the question was asked at the debate, well, what about age, uh, Mr., uh, uh, Mr. President? Uh, the, the topic of age has come up. What do you think of that? And he said, I will not hold Walter Mondale's youth against him. <laughs> it was a brilliant response. It's the way he should have responded. But now it's like, oh, that bum over here. I mean, they have to rip each other apart. Why do they have to do that, Christopher? Well, it really changed. You know, I, I think the beginning of the end of the relationships. Now, I'll tell you one story about Ronald Reagan. Everybody knows Tip O'Neill, Speaker mm -hmm. of the House. Yep, yep. Massachusetts, Boston, big guy, you know, white hair. Um, I remember taking Tip O'Neill up to see President Reagan after it was like five or six o'clock after a, a long day. 
And I could hear them sitting in the West Wing Hall, the private residence. President Reagan's drinking uh, vodka and orange juice, and Tip O'Neill, of course, is drinking Irish whiskey. <laughs> and, and you hear these guys laughing. They're telling stories. After an hour, uh, President escorts Tip O'Neill back to the elevator, and I'm there. And, I, and Tip O'Neill says, thank you, Mr. President. And, and he says to the president, tomorrow morning we put our uniforms back on and we go at it again. And the president said, yeah, and tomorrow night you'll be over here having drinks with me. And telling jokes, from what I hear. They used to tell each other so, jokes all the time. Yeah, and even, even into the first Bush administration, you remember George H.W. was a former congressman. Yep. He had a lot of friends on both sides of the aisle. He, too, would, would often entertain... So, you know, they had this persona. During the day, they had to look like they were against each other, but they were truly friends. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, everybody is just blood. I mean, there's absolutely no relationships. You know, their schedules in, on Congress are so short. They work Tuesday through Thursday. They fly back to their, their <laughs> districts, their home districts. They have no time together. It used to be they spend the weekends together. They go out to dinner. None of that exists now. So it's, it's, very, it's a very different dynamic. Is that because of big business? Is that there's so much money in digital now? All of those billions of dollars. Is it all about the money now? Well, of course, it's about the money. These guys. They, well, you sound like my mother there, by the way, Christopher. <laughs> well, Tom, of course, it's about. The... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just I just wanted to finish one real quick thing. Sure. Remember, I left you. I was with Joe DiMaggio and Ted Wayne. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. I, I spent two hours with these guys, and I'm just having so much fun. I'm taking him up to the private residence. I'm in the elevator. You know, all I could think of when I see Joe DiMaggio sitting, standing in the elevator of the White House, going up to the private residence, all I wanted to do was ask him about Marilyn Monroe, (laughs) who probably was was in the same elevator for different reasons. Yes. (laughs) But I didn't. I was good. I didn't bring her up. Well. Anyway. That was very nice of you. And, and as far as that, <laughs> Ted Williams is another guy, though, uh, same guy in the elevator with you. Ted Williams is not a guy you'd want to make angry. I'll tell you that. I'd, I'd heard that. But, you know, he's really uh, genteel and he's quite gentleman. And we, yeah, uh, we talk was. quite a bit. Very nice guy. He was a very, I only talked to him once in my life, but he was a tremendously nice man. Took his game very seriously, and he literally could not understand when he was. Uh, when he was managing a team, why can't you guys hit 400? <laughs> he was just, he couldn't believe it. Well, he was uh, a perfectionist, no doubt. He no. was, there's no doubt about it. Christopher, so you get this job. Tell me about the first day on the job. That's, that had to have been amazing. It was amazing. I actually started working, it was a Sunday, because there was a, there was a, a public broadcasting system, what they called In Performance at the White House, an entertainment. It was a, a show that was going to be taped for PBS, and they had uh, Bobby Short, Liza Minnelli, and, and uh, uh, Vic. Uh, what is now? I can't remember the the, the other <laughs> the other actors, but they were, they were playing uh, music, uh, Hodge and Hearts, which is like 1930s greatest hits. Really bad. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like <laughs> but it was really what the Reagans liked. It was pretty funny. But uh, so that I walked in in the morning and of course the, the house is just torn to shreds because they're, they're setting up all the lighting and all the stage work and all this stuff so it was, it was crazy so I didn't uh, I got to see the president and first lady my first day but I didn't meet them I met the first lady the first day but I didn't meet the president until like two days later and uh, that was when my boss took me up in the elevator and we greeted the president as he walked out as he was headed to the Oval Office 
I remember seeing this man for the first time this close, and, and just the, the stature. I mean, he was he was like six two, broad shouldered. I remember seeing that the lines in his face seemed deeper, but he just looked like he was in such great shape. And an interesting story about Reagan that people don't realize, you know, after uh, Hinckley shot him in the chest, um, he was prescribed a heavy regimen of working out. So he did a lot of bench presses. Mm. And the universal gym that the president used was directly above the usher's office. So the president would come back from the Oval Office around 5, and within 20 minutes you hear the clanking of the bench press as he was doing these bench presses. The president, President Reagan, actually increased his shirt size by three sizes. <laughs> wow. Because of, of the muscles that he built up in his chest. Wow. He was already an athlete, but, I mean, he did that when he was, like, 70-something. It was amazing. That is a great story. That's a wonderful story. Was it Vic Morrow? Was that the guy? Yeah. Uh, Vic Morrow was... Um, I thought so, yeah. Uh, Vic Morrow. Yeah, remind me who Vic... I, I remember the name. He had a movie, The Twilight Zone, out at that time. That's a matter of fact, right. he, was, he was killed shooting that movie. Yeah. Oh, really? Right? Yep. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of eerie. I love history, Christopher. <laughs> I well, do. yeah, the book is done well. It's on Amazon. I've gotten 72% five-star ratings, which I think is good. That's very good. Uh, not everybody that. likes it, but it, it, it's not all serious stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of funny stories in there um, because there was a lot of funny things that happened. And, and it's like I said, it's it's a, it's a story about what really happened inside the White House, which most people don't know. What I like about it, Christopher, it could not have come out at a better time because it it, it is frustrating. I'm sitting here with my wife, our son, our daughter our son's uh, wife, uh, a family friend forever. This is a very tight-knit family we have in here. And to hear somebody talking positively about Washington, D.C. is a real treat, Christopher, I'll tell you that. Well, and, and I, I believe me, I remember sitting in the green room of the White House as the sun was setting and there were no events and the family was upstairs, so I was just by myself. And I would sit there and I, I would look through those blown glass windows out on the south grounds and I thought to myself, wow, they're actually paying me to do this job, which yeah. is the greatest job in the world. I know. You actually get, well, you know, the, the, it's nice to feel that, to go, I actually get paid for doing this. I love this so much. It's so much fun. It's so interesting. And I actually get to collect a paycheck for it. It is a dream. Great timing on the release of the book, Christopher. It's a really good book. Thank White you. House Usher Thank Stories so from the much. Inside. Christopher, thanks for your time today, sir. Thank you. You all take care. I appreciate it. Bye. Christopher Emery, E-M-E-R-Y. Um, yeah, I, I've done a lot of reading him up over the years over over when Christopher was at the White House, when all these people are at the White House. Um, I just, do you ever remember a time, Ralph, because you and I are approximately mm-hmm. the same age, I don't remember it ever being this vicious. Like, no. we will end your career, we'll ruin you if you don't vote the way we do. And, and his comment about the people not staying around on the weekend, there's no social life left right. uh, amongst the legislators, yeah. amongst the oh, – well, 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 all three branches. I mean, I'm certain that they had relationships as a result of working together, as a result of partying together, as a result of vacationing together, mm-hmm. going on junkets together. I mean, they all do that sort of stuff. And, and even though you're across the aisle, you're out, you're out someplace in Paris – you're having dinner together. I mean, you, you have relationships right. and past experiences that you build on to try to work together. And that's and there was working together. I really get the sense that 30 years ago, there was a certain sense of working together at some point 
where you can get some compromise and get no get to come to yes on something. You don't do it any now. Any of that, that doesn't even happen now. Yeah, Tip O'Neill, who was very liberal, and Ronald Reagan, who was very conservative, they were very good friends. They drank together. They smoked cigars together. They laughed. Had a, I don't know if he still smoked cigars after he was shot in the chest. Probably not. But um, it's it just they got along really well. And now you can't even say somebody's name and they'll just go nuts. Yeah. It's like, settle down, for God's sake. We'll take a break. Be back. Hour two, of course. We're joined by Kristen Burt with the family.